So this morning, um, I'd like to begin with just a very light overview of the practices um, that we've been introducing, engaging with. Um, and please do let me know if, if you can't hear me and you'd like to hear me. Um, it's a bit of extra background sound with, with the rain. So, we've been grounding our practice in body and breath, yeah. um, particularly in um, the, more, the longer breath or the more pleasant breath um, or the wider, more expansive body sense. Yeah, body awareness. Um, and just a reminder that um, these practices are particularly helpful for what we're calling samatha or samadhi. Yeah, collecting, grounding, calming, um, and resourcing. Yeah, so connecting us to a, a sense of well-being, yeah, as well as helping us to gather and collect the attention. And... The meta practice also um, kind of sits quite comfortably in this category, yeah, practice that also supports the gathering, the collecting of attention, the calming of the mind and the body, um, and certainly a sense of well-being yeah, over time. Yeah. So that's kind of the thread of the samatha samadhi practices um, that we've been following as really kind of the, the, the ground of our practice, the primary ground of our practice. And then we've introduced uh, what we've been calling the insight practices. Yeah, the Vedana, so that capacity to tune in to that quite subtle level of experience where things are uh, categorized into pleasant or unpleasant, where experience is categorized into pleasant, unpleasant, or neither one or the other. Yeah. And from there, we, we flowed into um, particularly looking at experience through the lens of a nature of impermanence. Yeah, seeing the changeability, seeing the inconstancy of experience, looking through that lens. And then yesterday, um, Nathan introduced what we call the dukkha way of looking, yeah. which is particularly um, seeing within experience, noticing um, the arising of dukkha and the way we contract yeah, in relation to experience, whether uh, we're trying to get something, hold on to something, or we're trying to get away from something, that level of contraction that arises. And the capacity that we have through seeing that aspect of experience to actually um, change the relationship, yeah. release that contraction to some degree, ease it off to some degree. So in, in, in one way it's helpful to see, you know, samatha practices, um, insight practices, um, but it's also really helpful to see how they are interwoven with each other, yeah? So when we're doing a so-called samatha practice or something that's primary samatha, like working with the breath, 
insight is happening all the time. <laughs> yeah? It's part of the process. Yeah. For example, if there's a, a hindrance arising, yeah, restlessness is arising, then that is an insight. Yeah. And then attending to that restlessness is an insight way of looking. It's an insight practice. So they're not separate. So calm brings insight, and insight brings calm. Yeah. Insight brings samatha and samadhi also. Yeah, so when we can look at our experience in a way that um, reduces the levels of contraction and tension in the body and the mind, and we are aware of that, we see that, yeah, yeah, that's calming, yeah? When there's release, there's calming, there's gathering. Does this make sense to people? Yeah, so I just really want to highlight that because it's, uh, I found for myself, <laughs> It's so helpful to just kind of keep kind of remembering the bigger picture of how all this unfolds, how it works, how it comes together. And in some practices, it's completely one thing. You know, for example, the practice that we did yesterday afternoon, uh, bringing metta to phenomena, I don't know how Nathan titled it. Metta to phenomena, metta to all things, metta to sensations, we call it different things. Um, but bringing the metta attitude towards all of experience, that's both gathering, calming the attention and deep insight. Yeah? It's a way of looking that also really um, opens insight. And we could hear that yeah, as people were sharing their experiences yesterday evening. Yeah? Bringing metta to metta. <laughs> yeah? What is that? <laughs> and yet we experience that, you know or bringing metta to the body, kind of seeing, ah, oh, well, how does that feel? How does that reframe my relationship? Yeah. Or bringing, or noticing how um, the experience changes, yeah? I think I'm not feeling something, and then suddenly something happens. Either afterwards I feel the effect, or suddenly something happens in the environment, and the response, yeah? The deep insight comes up. So do you see that, that when they come together, and more and more as we practice, as we deepen, and I'm highlighting it today, we see how the two come together. Yeah. The samatha, the calming, well-being, gathering of attention, coming together with insight. Yeah. Kind of not two, they're not two separate things. Mm-hmm. Really like two, the image in the tradition is two... Um, two wings of a bird, you know, so the bird needs both wings. And I, I kind of often say, for me, that's not close enough of a relationship. Like actually, like every single feather <laughs> on the bird's wings has the two there together. You know, they come so, so um, interlinked, so much woven together. So having that overview is kind of the, kind of just getting that sense of this is what we're doing here in whatever way we're engaging and emphasizing the non-hierarchy of the practices. Yeah, whichever way we're engaging, whatever it is that we're, um, that our, whichever direction our practice is flowing in, all of this is happening. Yeah, to some degree. And, and so there's no hierarchy. There's really just that sense of how the practice is flowing 
right now. And I was saying to Michal this morning that by this point in a retreat, it's often very beautiful to feel how it's like we've, um, it's as if we're, we're um, a bunch of kites. <laughs> um, and like we're all, all the strings are rooted in one place, but each kite is kind of flowing off in its own direction. We're not limited. We're not all flowing on the same current of wind. Yeah. So each, each kite, each person, each trajectory of practice is kind of taking its own form, its own way. And to really honor that yeah, for, for yourselves. Yeah. Now, whatever way, whichever direction your practice is going, um, whatever it's emphasizing or prioritizing, um, that's really beautiful and really worthwhile to do. So saying that, um, I, I'm going to try and very lightly introduce the third, um, the third wi- um, wisdom view or way of looking practice this morning. Um, but as Nathan was saying yesterday, I think with the dukkha, if you feel it's already enough, <laughs> then uh, three choices. One, you can leave right now. This is your opportunity. <laughs> um, two is you can um, just stay with sound, yeah? Don't, don't uh, get caught up in trying to understand the content. So it feels like already there's enough, enough content in the system, enough words in the system. Um, and three, listen, yeah, as a kind of teaching, as another way of contemplating the Dharma, but don't feel like you have to apply it in your practice today. Okay, so as you know, and the fourth is, of course, try it out. Yeah, if 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 you feel like there's the capacity, there's the interest, um, there's that energy for that. And um, I think also Nathan mentioned it yesterday, but everything is being recorded. Um, all the written instructions are available online, so you can always come back to these things. Yeah, at a later time. Don't don't need to have a sense of rush. You know that I need to to grasp it right now. Um, but there is also, of course, value in the receptivity that we have in the mind uh, during a silent retreat. So even if your mind feels like it's as busy today or busier than it was when you arrived, um, don't believe that 100%. <laughs> yeah. there's, a, um, there's a lot more sensitivity and actually usually a lot more quietness than we're aware of. Um, yeah. So I'm going to... Yeah, I'm going to try and introduce this fairly lightly and briefly. Um, yeah, so that it's not kind of an overload of, of, too, of, of, of too many words. And also because I did speak quite a lot last night about anatta, so in many ways the kind of uh, background, the teaching background is already here, yeah, around this. So... just kind of the, the, the highlight points. Um, so when we look with clear seeing at our experience of body and mind, yeah, we can see that um, the body and mind are not as permanent, solid, and essenceful as we take them to be. Yeah. We can see that the body and mind are also made up. Um, 
And also, when we look with clear seeing, we can see the ways in which we habitually do take them to be who we are. Yeah, we take the body to be who I am. We take the mind to be who I am. Um, either to be myself or to be the possession of my sense of self. This is mine. This is my body, my thought. And most of the time, of course, this happens unconsciously and also is unquestioned. Yeah, it kind of goes below the radar. So part of what we're doing with this way of looking practice, yeah, way of looking, look, looking through this lens of not me, not mine, non-self, um, is to see if we can taste for ourselves how experience changes yeah, when we look at it in this conscious, intentional way. Yeah, this is not me, this is not who I am. So we have more direct, yeah, direct experience and through that we can embody more skillful ways of being. And through that dropping of um, identification to a degree. And we can build on the previous meditation techniques with this one yeah so this kind of we can build on it yeah if we like if it's helpful so we can see our not me not mine because it's changing yeah through impermanence i can see actually this is this is constantly coming together yeah constantly coming together or we can see, ah, when there's a lot of dukkha, there's a lot of self. When the dukkha eases off, the sense of self eases off. Yeah? So we can also use that as a way of building on that. Ah, there's some relationship between a stronger sense of self and more contraction. Yeah? More manifestation of dukkha through the contraction. Yeah? So that can be something we can kind of lean back into. Does that make sense to people? Yeah. So we can use those ways if it's helpful. And if it's more helpful to just see this as a kind of new appearance, then that's also fine. And I'm just engaging with this, not relating it to the previous um, practices. And just remembering that um, this practice, the, the anatta practice, uh, really goes directly to that um, lessening of the sense of self, and through that, reducing the clinging and the craving, and reducing the dukkha. This is what it does. Yeah. So as we've been saying, and probably will continue to say, as long as we can have the possibility to talk at you from up here, <laughs> the three arise together, or the four, the dukkha, the contraction, the clinging, the sense of self, all arise together, all dependent on each other. So one thing that can help is, is just to, to open, so we're opening up to seeing um, how this sense of ownership of things arises in us. Yeah. When does it arise? And we can use really um, you know, the daily kind of things that we do here to see that sense of ownership. So for example, you know, when you walk into the hall here, you have your mat and your cushion 
right? Or cushions and your shawl. Yeah. What would happen? We can play with this. What would happen if you came into the hall and someone else was sitting on your mat and your cushion and your spot? Do you see? Do you see the sense of ownership? And we can reflect back. How quickly did that ownership arise? Yeah. The second meditation we had here and before, when, was, when did this become mine? And really reflecting on it with humor. Because when we leave here, that, this mat that we're sitting on will no longer, we won't longer have the identification with it. Yeah? So we can bring that in to, to our day-to-day experience here. Or, or our favorite, and apologies if you've heard Nathan or me say this a million times, but at mealtimes, yeah, the relationship to the food, yeah, when does it become my food? When in the process that it moves from the pot to the plate does it become mine? <laughs> you know, it's really a wonderful contemplation. When it's sitting in the pot, if someone comes and serves themselves from the pot, no reaction, right? It's the pot. If someone came and served themselves from your plate, <laughs> yeah? well, it's the same food, right? But so where, where in that movement did the ownership arise? So we can see that. Yeah, we can just be interested in that. You know, I often have it with, um, you know, just generally, you know, our bed, <laughs> our blanket, our sheet, you know. And my clothes, you know, I think I like my jeans, my jeans, my jeans, you know. Like what, what makes it mine? You know, when, when did that ownership arise? You know, when did it arise? So we can just kind of reflect on that. Yeah. Just seeing that with, just as we've been doing here, like the humor really helps. It's a real lubricant for the process. See, we, we do that ownership, and so we see that. So that this is something we can do um, through the day. Yeah, my path when we're doing our walking practice, that's a big one. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like, you know, in some, some meditation centers, the, the highest risk of violence <laughs> is around the meditation, walking meditation path. You know, the amount of times, you know, I've walked out a guy house and, what's somebody doing on my path? Can't they see? It's mine, you know. So we see that ownership, you know. It's real, really helpful to see. Even something like a walking path when there's actually nothing even there. Yeah, the path is completely fabricated in itself. So the path is fabricated and the sense of ownership is fabricated. Yeah, but it's mine. So we can see that, play with that. Yeah, real, um, yeah. Very, very, can be very light, very joyful, and very, very insightful. And we can see whenever we bring that way of looking into those kind of things with, with the lighting up and the humor uh, that comes in there, uh, we can see how this is actually both a kind of much more pleasant way of being <laughs> around things, yeah? Not holding the ownership so tightly. Um, and also, how it, it feels, you know, on a very deep, so I'm, I'm kind of emphasizing the humor here, but on a very deep level, it feels much more in alignment, yeah, with life. Yeah, it feels very, very wholesome. Yeah, we can directly feel um, if that change in relationship, that easing off 
of the ownership feels better. Yeah, feels truer to us on a very, very deep level. So, you know, everything is fabricated physically. I was speaking about that quite a lot last night. Yeah, made up of components. Yeah, made up of elements that come together and are compounded. Everything is compounded, but really important to remember that the mind also plays a part in that compounding and particularly around this sense of ownership. Yeah. The mind plays a part. This is mine. That's a mind thing. My food, my cushion, my jeans, whatever, my path. Yeah, that's a mind thing that comes in. So we're interested in seeing that. And doing that, um, again, I touched on it last night, we're not in this practice, we're not so interested to take a stand on whether there's a self or isn't a self. We're interested to see when I look at things this way, when I loosen the sense of ownership, does that release dukkha and increase well-being? That's what we're interested in. That's what we're interested in. And so it's also really not, um, um, it's also, there's no agenda of getting rid of the self. Yeah, it's not about getting rid of the self. And I hope that was clear when I spoke about it last night. We're not trying to get rid of a sense of self. It's not the enemy. Yeah. But we're interested in seeing more clearly and in reducing the dukkha in the world, including within us, through that. So seeing more clearly and reducing the problematic in the dukkha. So it's not kind of a, you know, this is not me or mine, so go away now. But rather, this is not me or mine, come and go as you please. Yeah. Just like everything else, you can be here or not. Yeah. It's no, no struggle against. So like um, with the other techniques, um, for some people, a very light noting can be helpful with the practice. So I've kind of been dropping it in um, already. You know, we can use not me, not mine. That's a traditional way of, of bringing that in, one or the other. Um, if you like, you can use the Pali anatta. You can use something in, in your own language or you know, a completely different word, if it's helpful. And for some of us, or some of the time, it's actually, instead of just saying, not me, not mine, it can be helpful to say, not just me, to use the noting of not just me, not just mine. Yeah, And that kind of straddles that middle way I was touching on last night, of we're not rejecting, and we're not... Um, losing contact with our responsibility, for example, for our body. Yeah? This is the body that, uh, that we have responsibility for. Yeah? So we care for it, we look after it, same with the mind. Yeah? 
but we remember that it's not just me and it's not just mine. Yeah, it's more than that. Does that make sense to people? It's like widening that sense of responsibility and of ownership. Yeah, not just me, not just mine. And really playing with the words, if you're using the noting, to see what, what is helpful and what works for you. So the last thing um, to say is uh, metta. Metta, 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 metta. In many ways, um, these when, when we teach retreats um, in, in this way, kind of this trajectory of teachings and instructions that we've been offering here, um, this is actually a metta retreat, yeah, in a in maybe a slightly hidden undercover way, yeah. The priority or the underlying thread is that cultivation of a friendly, welcoming attitude towards our experience, yeah. The meta thread. It's both that foundation of kindness is what allows us to bring attention and to investigate our experience um, and it's also an expression, yeah, a fruit of these kind of explorations that we've been doing here. So I know we've said it through the days, you know, if, if metta is a practice that you resonate with, you can feel free to use that as the primary practice from which you open to the ways of looking or just do that, yeah. And if you're doing, um, you know, if you more resonate with body or breath, Remembering that the metta is woven in there, in the attitude, in the way we pay attention. Yeah, so that attitude of friendliness is woven in there. And if at any point um, in the practice there's a, um, a sense of um, fear or um, some overwhelm, then metta can be really, really helpful. Yeah, really, really helpful to bring in. Again, either in the formal practices we've been doing or just in the sense of the attitude that we're bringing to ourselves and to the practice. Okay. So that's the, the introduction and like I said before, just feel, really check with yourself what is, what is appropriate, what's the practice that feels useful and helpful. Um, and we'll take some time to practice together now. So if you need to stretch any part of the body before you settle into the posture, we have about half an hour to practice and then settle into your the appropriate meditation posture for you.
So taking your time to feel into the body and settle into the posture. Grounding the awareness in the body or the breath, whatever is useful or a combination. Whichever practice you're doing, how it can be helpful to ground the awareness, feel the contact areas of the body with the seat and the ground. And also feel the balance of uprightness and ease, openness in the posture, particularly in the back of the body. Just at the beginning of this practice, as we're grounding in the body, the breath, or the metaphrases, whatever you're using as the primary object, just taking time to feel and consider the body right now. This body sitting or standing here. I just feel that this body is not mine or not just mine. It's helpful we can open to consider all the other organisms that share this body with us. That the body relies on to live. Not just mine. We can consider the nourishment of the body through food. And that food is not mine. We can consider the materiality of the body, the cells in the blood, in the flesh, in the muscle, in the bone. Each of these cells has a lifespan. 
This body right now is made up of different cells to those that made it up 10 years ago or 20 years ago. It's not mine and not me. But a natural process, process of nature. It digests without me doing anything, breathes without me doing anything, heals itself. Process of nature. And eventually, or actually already right now, the body is also falling apart. Layers of skin being shed, hair falling off, nails being cut. The body is a process of nature, going back to nature, coming from nature. It is not just me and not just mine. We can see the same thing in the breath. Breath coming in to the body. Bringing in oxygen that spreads through the body. And then being let go back into the world, back into the earth. Nourishing plant life. Is there a moment when the breath becomes my breath or stops being my breath? You can just play with that, notice that. Feeling the not me, not mine of the breathing. Breath flowing through the body.
So we can bring this way of looking to whatever arises in the experience. So for the rest of this meditation time, being with your primary object of meditation, whatever you've chosen that to be. And then in moments when distraction arises, any kind, it can be a sensation in the body that's pulling the attention, a sound or a thought. As you acknowledge it, bringing in that sense of this is not me and not mine. Staying with that sensation, that pull of the thinking, that sound, whatever it is, staying with it through that lens of not me and not mine. Noticing any effect that it may have. And then coming back to the primary object. When that so-called distraction passes away or when it feels more helpful to gather the attention back on the breath or body or metta. As you do the practice, being interested to see if there's any sense of release, of well-being that arises through the practice. And also any change in perception. When you bring this way of looking, not me, not mine, not just me, not just mine. into the response towards distraction.
So I'd just like to, to end with um, highlighting a few possibilities of how to work with this through the day, if you're interested. Um, so one is to primarily bring this into moments when we're distracted. That's either in the sitting or the walking practice. Yeah, when we, when we, those moments, those aha moments, when we notice ah, I'm off in whatever, bringing in that sense of not me, not mine, or not just me, not just mine towards that. Yeah. So that can be a, a primary way that we practice through the day. A second way um, can be um, what I said at the beginning of the instructions, just having this intentional interest to notice our sense of ownership around things. Yeah? Just really with a lot of lightness there. Yeah? So whatever that is, place in the hall, your bed, um, your room, your food, whatever it is, just bringing that in the path and, and seeing that um, through the day. And the third way is um, it may be that for some of you, you've noticed that there's a kind of like a spark. You've sparked with this practice. Yeah, this happens to us with different practices. There's suddenly a sense of, oh, wow, there's an alignment with this. It's working for me or it's interesting for me. Um, if that's the case, then bring it in more. Yeah, so it can be, um, you know, as you're sitting or here and you're with the breath or with the body, really having that thread of not me, not mine in the attentiveness to the breathing or the body sensations. Yeah, and the same in the walking. Yeah, as you're walking, as the body's moving, as you're noticing the contact um, of the steps with the ground, that sense of not me, not mine, and really having it as a thread can be very, very powerful. If there's interest, so not forcing it at this point, but if there's a sense of like this spark with it. And it can also come into the meta. So we haven't talked about this, but just to touch on it, something that can happen in the meta practice, in any practice, but it can kind of sometimes be more strong in the meta, is a sense of I am sending meta. <laughs> I am doing meta. Um, and that's fine. It's kind of something that is there in the beginning and is useful and drops away with the momentum of the practice over time. But if you're doing the practice and you'd like to weave this into the meta practice, then you can also weave that, just that slight sense of just kind of like um, questioning it very, very lightly. Yeah. That sense of identification around, you know, meta practice is coming from here. <laughs> yeah. And again, it's useful, so don't kind of feel like you have to trample all over it and stamp it out. It's got to, it plays, but just kind of bringing that in. Yeah. This is also not me. You know, meta is something we tune into yeah. rather than create or generate. Um, yeah, so three, these three ways of practicing um, with a not me, not mine. If you're interested, it's also fine not to do any of them, just to reiterate that. Um, but if you're interested, yeah, these three ways. With the distractions when they come, moments when the mind wanders, just as a general intention of seeing ownership and bringing humor and lightness to that um, owning of, of things or phenomena 
you know, my meditation, yeah, my calmness, my joy, <laughs> yeah, can also come around that, um, or more, a little bit more kind of fully, of, of bringing that sense of not me, not mine, into the relationship to the object of meditation, whatever that is. Of course, it can also be to the Vedana, I didn't say it, but Vedana also, not me, not mine, yeah, if you're doing the Vedana practice, that, that can also come in there. Okay, so enjoy the practice, real, yeah, just, so, yeah, okay, so yeah, so first of all, I was just about to give a great plug to going outside, if, if you're up for it, uh, you know, raincoats, um, umbrellas, you know, whatever you have, if you're up for it, 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 yeah, in my experience, as somebody who grew up in a climate where it doesn't rain much, and so a lot of aversion to rain, it's just such a liberating thing to go out um, into, the, into, the, into the weather, and it's actually, as we would say in England, not bad at all, not too bad at all out there, quite light. Um, so if you know, if you feel again that you can generate that interest, there's something again around that going out into the um, into the into nature um, that can be really really freeing. And if you prefer to do walking practice, um, not in the rain. Limited options, but they exist. So one is the matchan. So you need to go out and go up on that roof space. I think. Um, if, depending on how many people are there, um, certainly four people might be able to do it if you do very short paths um, on, on there of walking back and forth um, there. Um, find a spot in the building. So, you know, you may have to maneuver around others, but like say out here, certainly one person could do walking practice um, just out here and maneuver around people going to the toilets and stuff like that. Same downstairs in the dining room, um, you know, just shorter paths. Um, in your dorm, one person could do walking practice in the dorm, certainly, or two if you, if you do a shorter. And so kind of be creative. Um, and sometimes just to, we haven't actually said this, but sometimes we um, change the names of the practices. Instead of saying sitting and walking, we call them... Um, stillness and movement practices so there can be the possibility of also just um, sitting somewhere and making a movement with your hand yeah and 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 really being with that as the as the movement yeah with the hand with the foot with the head just choosing something that then you can do in a lot less space um, yeah or standing and, and doing some kind of movement um, as as a way of of, of connecting to that, that sense of the, the movement being the, the object of, of the meditation. Yeah. Does that feel like sufficient space indoors for people? Or, or I mean, we could also designate part of the hall. Uh, but again, ideally not. If you can find, let's, let's put it that way. If you need a space out of the rain and you can find one elsewhere, let's do that. If, um, if all the other spaces are occupied and you need a space in, 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 um, indoors, then uh, come in here and either um, move my spot 
here up into window ledge, use this spot or use the center spot um, very quietly. Um, yeah, find, find a spot in there or, you know, there's places where there's gaps between the mats where you could walk. Okay. Um, if there's any questions about the practice, then you're welcome to stay. Um, or if you'd like to listen and otherwise, enjoy the world that's out there and the practice that awaits. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.